I wonder if any of you ever like to admit that you're wrong. Well, perhaps you're like me. You think you know how something is going to play out, but when it goes a different way, you think, well, that was surprising because I couldn't have possibly be wrong. <laughs> what happened was a fluke. Well, I ask this question and admit to my own arrogance in doing so as a reaction to this famous story that we heard Anel read for us. Here we have Sarah and Abraham, a much older couple who have already been promised the world, literally. God has made a special covenant with Abraham that he will become the father of all nations. He will have so many descendants that he won't be able to count them. They will even outnumber the grains of sand. God goes on to tell Abraham that he will bless him in order for Abraham and Sarah to be a blessing to others and that Abraham's family will be special and will be considered God's chosen children. Now, all of that must have already been too good to be true to Abraham and Sarah. Yet we're told that out of obedience, Abraham left his homeland to a distant one in order to follow God's plan. A little bit more backstory about them. Abraham has indeed already had a child, but the child was not born to his wife, Sarah. Instead, he was born to Hagar, their slave and his concubine. You see, it was so important at that time that a couple have a male child that both Sarah and Abraham decided they would put matters into their own hands and have Abraham impregnate Hagar so that she could have a child and hopefully it be a male. You see, although they had been given a promise by God that they would have a very large family with many descendants, they didn't believe God. So after Sarah didn't become pregnant right away, that's when they decided, well, we have to make this happen somehow and they took matters into their own hands. Well, fast forward to when we enter the story today. Abraham had a son, but again, this son was not born of Sarah, and now suddenly he's visited by three strangers, the scripture tells us. Now, in that time and culture, it was imperative that strangers be received with hospitality. In fact, the more one did to receive people, the better Jews you were, seen, you were seen to be to others. It was the law, and Abraham was going to follow it. Therefore, he orders for the best calf and milk and cakes to be prepared for the str three strangers. Abraham is the perfect host, it seems. Interestingly, we are told that the three strangers somehow represent God. It's a little bit ambiguous the way it's written for us, but nonetheless, that's what biblical commentators have agreed upon, that these three men are God in the flesh, spending time and speaking with Abraham. Also, according to Jewish patriarchal tradition of that time, Although both Abraham and Sarah prepared the meal for them 
Only Abraham is the one to engage with these men. Now that was the case until one of them directs his conversation to Sarah herself. I mentioned this as a first clue to as the, see, so that we can understand the importance that God has for Sarah and how perhaps what many of us were led to believe about Sarah was wrong. You see, many of us were taught that Sarah was a crafty, non-believing, untrustworthy person. Yet a different interpretation, one that I'm more convinced of, is that Sarah was nothing else but real and genuine in her reaction to what her husband had been told. After all, they're very old. She questions how it could be possible for her to have a child when she's past menopause. She even goes on to question how she and Abraham could experience this pleasure at their advanced age. And some commentators add at their, this stage of their distant relationship. We're told that Sarah is in such disbelief that she will have a child that she laughs to herself. Now, usually when we're introduced to Sarah, we aren't told that part that she laughed to herself. Instead, I have pictured someone very rude and mockingly laughing at the Lord. Haven't you? Like, ha, ha, ha. But the story clearly says that she laughed to herself. And yet, in verse 13, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Therefore, God knew that she was laughing and questions Abraham as to why she did so. At that point, Sarah responds and lies and says that she didn't laugh. And we are told that one of the men corrects her and says, yes, you did laugh. Now, if I had laughed to myself and not out loud and not in front of anyone else, because remember, she's in the tent. But someone tells me that I did laugh. That would have surprised me, to say the least. Sarah must have been surprised, too. Not only what the messenger God had said, but also that this messenger God had seen and understood her inner thoughts. If I were Sarah, I would not be able to believe their message of promise that I was going to be a mother. No way. Nor would I believe what was happening right in front of me. Three strangers show up and seem to know more about my life than my husband and I. What's going on? Now, I must pause and go back to something else that we're told that the Lord says. In verse 14, God asks a very important question about God's self. God asks, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And that's the main question, which brings up three more questions for us today that I want you to consider. If we believe that God can do anything, why not believe that God can do wonderful things for us? Secondly, if we believe that God is good, why not believe that God genuinely wants what is best for us, even and especially when it doesn't make sense to us? Thirdly, 
Can we dare to believe that the God of the universe, who is the creator of all things, is also so intimately involved in our lives that God really, truly does care about what happens to us, about what's best for us, or about giving us joy? You see, I think that we lovely modern-day Protestants aren't that different than these ancient humans were. We still struggle to believe that God has our best interest in mind. Instead, we become cynical or at least doubtful that God cares about us, and sometimes we even put things into our own hands. It becomes easier to focus at times on all that's gone wrong and all the hopes and dreams which didn't come to fruition for us, our families, our friends, and even for our country and the world. After all, we only have to listen to the news at any given moment to be reminded of all that's wrong in the world. Violence, greed, avarice, abuse of power, discrimination, all of it is seen every day on any given news outlet. Yet amid such bad news is God's good news. God's good news that does not change. Namely, that God is good, that God does love us, that God does want what is best for us, that God's promises come true because God is faithful, that God only asks that we be faithful in return. Now, please understand that I'm not saying that if you doubt sometimes that things will ever get better, that it must mean that you're just a weak Christian. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the opposite. Sarah laughed out of incredulity, incredulity, and later in chapter 21, we see that she laughs out of pure joy. The point is that God met Sarah where she was at. God doesn't let her get away with her lie that she wasn't laughing, but neither does God change the promise that God had for her. God still showered Abraham and Sarah with the amazing grace that God could provide. And so, yes, there is room for questions and even doubt. God welcomes them. And more than that, I believe that God honored Sarah's confusion by following through with God's promise. Can we then believe that God is with us and for us even when what seems to be happening around us doesn't make sense? Can we believe that God is alive and well and good and faithful even when we see or experience suffering? A couple of weeks ago, one of my oldest, dearest friends from childhood was in a very serious car accident. She, her wife, her brother-in-law, her sister-in-law, were all in the car that she was driving. Someone ran through a red light and hit them straight on. The car flipped several times. The other driver died. My friend and her family survived, but have suffered multiple injuries, fractures, and broken bones as a result. She's undergone several surgeries for her knees, and her sister-in-law is still undergoing more surgeries. Why do I tell you this? I tell you to share with you that this friend who almost lost her life now shares with everyone how blessed she feels. She's heard from her friends and families from all parts of her life, 
She has received donations of money to help cover the cost of her medical bills. She has received phone calls and texts and gifts and many, many reminders that she is loved and not alone in her journey toward recovery. She tells me that she can't feel sorry for herself and miss knowing how deeply she and her family are loved. Does she wish the accident hadn't happened? Of course so. However, it did, and although she does not yet know what the outcome of her and her family members' injuries will be, those seen and unseen, she's sure that God is with her. She's the daughter of two pastors and is a pastor herself, and some might think that she would have such trust in God many years ago. Nevertheless, God allows her to grow in trust in God not only for her own good, but for the good of those who will hear her story. God is good, friends. God is faithful. God will never leave us in our doubt, in our questions, in our suffering, our disappointments. We do not have to understand everything that's happening in order to believe in God's existence or God's plan for our lives. May we, friends, embrace this goodness. May we accept it and enjoy it and share that joy we know with others. Share that God is good and that God's promises will come true for each and every one of us. May we laugh with God at God's provision and faithfulness. Amen.